At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to a Saturday pre-NBA Summer League edition of the pod. And really fun gold medal game last night. Finally had a chance with free agency drying up a little bit to actually watch some Olympic basketball. And really, I, I thought a game that, while as a U.S. fan, could be a little frustrating because you're like, they have all this talent. How are they not just killing these teams? I thought the U.S. largely played pretty well. France played really, really well. And it was a good solid gold medal game that the u.s ended up winning uh my biggest takeaway though is just as this being the one thing that i am a still a fan of as a an american basketball aficionado and extremely low-level basketball player in this country at one time is just uh thanks for playing kevin durant i don't think the u.s would have meddled if kevin durant didn't play especially with what is net what is being now like called uh now i think it's an abdominal injury for damian lillard like he hasn't looked right and i feel better if it's injury honestly in certain ways than if it was just him you know not there was something wrong it's it certainly appeared to me and Durant was the focal point of the USA offense as he should be especially when he's playing that well and he was also I would say he was an important part of their defense in some of the best moments once the Americans started figuring out how to kind of defend the French and they you know bringing Draymond in and Draymond and Durant and Drew Holiday like the three of those guys with Durant more of a rover than anything worked out really well and France went away from that and some they went to some of these weird big lineups and Collet had some interest let's say some interesting one interesting decisions but the u.s kind of figuring some of those things out defensively had been a hallmark of the team this olympiad was basically just like having a weird first quarter and then getting better defensively and that fueling a lot of stuff and then just the variance being kevin durant and like how like how much he played and because he missed he was in foul trouble a lot of that first france game and but the, you know the, the defense i thought for the u.s generally executed very well you know people forget with that 2016 team of how precarious it looked for them at times and i think they beat a spain team that was nowhere near as good as this france team by like six points in the semis and then they completely destroyed serbia and like you know demarcus cousins went crazy and so i think people forget the type of struggles they had they almost lost to france they almost lost to australia in the preliminary rounds as well and that i think this team actually was better than that team was uh in part because the nice thing about this team was you didn't just have these one-way guys who were all playing together like that 2016 team had Kyrie, carmelo and demarcus all starting and then they finally they cleaned things up a little bit when they put deandre jordan in the starting lineup rather than demarcus to at least defend a little bit this team actually played defense you know they didn't have these games where they were just getting lit up it was more the offense that was the problem but they had good defensive players their switching system caused problems for most of the teams that they played against and as it should because those teams don't making those teams play one-on-one they weren't going to be that good at it and so it was really the offense that was kind of the bigger problem and has been really throughout the Popovich era but they got enough from KD who was really the only reliable threat the whole way through um you know there was a period where they actually were posting up with Gobert and getting a bunch of fouls off the switches and the U.S. wasn't quite as connected on those switches as you know some of the really good NBA switching teams are but there's only so many points you can score particularly when Gobert was 6 to 13 from the foul line you know if he makes his free throws then you're in a much different situation or if he puts fouls on some different guys you know like KD for example like in that first game uh but despite that I thought France played really really well I agree. And Gobert, when the, in that one of the early ways that France was able to create some advantages was him a- attacking, you know, posting up early on the switches, though, you know, you're trying to get two points and he split a lot of free throws. And so you, they didn't get as much out of that as they could. Uh, Gerson Yabusele, I thought, had a nice, better better game than I've seen from him in yeah. quite some time. Um, or as uh, as Bob Fitzgerald calls him, uh, Yabusele. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, maybe it's Yabusele and we had it wrong this whole no, time. 
I, I, I asked somebody who knows, and it's Yabusele. Um, and yes. so, but anyway, anyway, uh, I've I've said my piece on that before, and Fitz is much better doing Team USA stuff than he is Warriors games. But we can move on to the, like, I mean, it's interesting. Like, France got varying contributions from their role players at other games. Like, TLC had a big performance in their win over Slovenia. And then he was a little bit more quiet in the gold medal game. They didn't need as much from him. Fournier, hit or miss. I mean, I... I <laughs> well, Drew Drew uh, made a huge difference against oh, him yeah. compared yeah, like, to the first game when he had just arrived in Japan like 12 hours earlier. Right. And, and Fournier, like one of the things that he does best is when the ball swings to him, making the quick decision and generally hitting that shot. But that didn't happen as much when Drew Holiday was on Fournier because he just he was stifled. And there was that play when Drew just took, I think it was Thomas Hertel's cookies. And Drew, Drew was amazingly destructive defensively. And yeah, probably in, the second best player on balance for USA. Despite, I, I would say, I would say so. Yeah. And a yeah, part he, of that, he still, his shot selection still <sighs> left something to be desired as, as it did for in Milwaukee during their run. But obviously he does enough else to make up for that. Well, and generally speaking, especially with this international crop, and it's a shame that we didn't get to see US Slovenia. Like that would have been a really fun game. I thought that France deserved to beat Slovenia, but you know, just, and I thought France was the superior squad but just because drew holiday guarding luca would have been really fascinating but in international ball a lot of times teams don't have the same level of secondary creation and so if you can just take one guy functionally out of the game or take you know make make his life that much harder the other team's offense is going to pretty much grind to a screeching halt and i thought that that was part of what makes i would argue drew holiday's defense more valuable in international play than it is in the nba and it was incredibly valuable on the nba champions this year yeah and there was a lot of talk about how oh well usa they're just like crying to the refs for these weak ass nba calls that they usually get and you know they can't do anything without that you know i don't really think that was their problem i think their problem was they didn't really have that clear of a hierarchy they didn't really have i think much of an understanding of what mismatches they wanted to attack but also this is a team that had just come together obviously before this and what they did do was they defended and you know on like switches and stuff they probably had maybe two or three miscommunications the whole game and so my guess is what the coaches felt like is let's just focus on defense in our practice time and you know that's as long as we defend well enough we have enough players who can just kind of figure it out even if the offense isn't going to look pretty and also trying to score on Rudy Gobert and FIBA play is pretty difficult like he doesn't he could just camp right under the basket and so I thought they could have done more as far as like just high pick and roll with KD or Lillard I didn't know at the time that Lillard was apparently suffering from this injury or even Zach Levine or Devin Booker you know that a lot of it was sort of we're dribbling into the front court and this this guy just has the ball on the wing and he can just kind of attack because he feels like he has a mismatch as basically everyone would in the NBA all the time unless you were being guarded by Nick Batum or Gobert and but the spacing wasn't very good for the iso ball that they wanted to play and so uh, there's a lot of a lot of issues with their offense but that you know KD was there to bail them out as much as was needed what did you make uh, should we talk about Vincent Collet's uh, some of his decisions yeah, I mean, this is more your your wheelhouse than mine in certain respect. But I mean, Frank Dokina being on ice for the entire Olympics and then playing big minutes in the gold medal game was was shocking. But I mean, that was only the tip of the iceberg in terms of his weird ass rotations. Yeah, there was Mustafa Fall and Rudy Gobert playing together, which I will admit the U.S. did not attack enough. And Fall actually had like a couple of post-up buckets on Draymond Green even because the U.S. just was not going to double the post uh, under any circumstances. They probably actually should have uh, done that a little bit more as like an opportunity double. Uh, but that was when Fall playing by himself and then, you know, not coming back with Gobert because the unit with Fall at the start of the fourth quarter like made a little bit of progress. Not Dakola had like some turnovers and so then they just decided they weren't going to play him and then they decided they weren't going to play uh Hertel and so that, that's how Nilakina even got out there to begin with um he did Nilakina did hit a uh three when the defense went under and he was a, a took a charge 
late in the game, but he's obviously not one of their best guys. They really struggled to score without DeColo out there. Um, starting with Yabusele on Kevin Durant and having him guard him most of the game and finally going to Nick Batum on KD in like the fourth quarter. And Batum actually like really shut down KD. I think KD also was a little bit tired. Like he was yes. giving the ball up uh, in the fourth, uh, but, you know, because he was playing a, a ton of minutes. But, uh, you know, obviously he wanted to prevent Batum from getting in foul trouble. He was a really important player for the French but as well as he defended KD and you they weren't really like running a bunch of screens for KD or anything like that so maybe you would question not putting him on KD earlier uh but I you know I did think the strategy actually to give the ball to Rudy Gobert which the Utah Jazz would never do uh actually worked reasonably well to get the French back into the game they trailed by 14 uh midway through the second quarter and then they put a bunch of fouls on the U.S. They, the U.S. I think probably got called for maybe like five off ball fouls in the second quarter just on like dealing with switching plays alone FIBA refs love to call off ball fouls um despite the idea that oh you can be so much more physical in FIBA which you probably you can be more physical on the ball but I don't know about necessarily off the ball and uh but and, and the French guards did a great job of throwing entry passes off of those switches to get the U.S. into compromising positions like they're France is a very solid passing team um this was I think one of the better offensive groups that they've had uh now that uh Florent Petrus isn't starting at the four for them anymore um a, another Colet special uh but yeah overall I think and also like leaving Rudy Gobert out there to foul out with you know 10 seconds left in the game on a defense only possession when they were gonna have to foul that wasn't great either but overall I thought the U.S. played well enough to win they missed a lot of wide open threes in the first half oh, yeah. as well that made I mean they the missed their first nine open. I believe yeah, and, and most of, of those were, were wide open, open in the flow of the offense oh we should talk yeah. about Draymond Green's tip on that free throw yeah I was saying like I wanted Draymond to be in there rather than Bam and you would say Bam is the better offensive player but Green actually for this team with all these threats on him was better offensively because they had a lot of success driving in engaging Gobert who was guarding Green and then kicking it out to Green who would then immediately go set a quick handoff for someone to take a, an open shot like KD set up KD a couple of times so they had a little bit better pace there are a few times where Draymond would just like keep trying to pass it someone they wouldn't get open he'd get it back he wouldn't shoot it he'd try to find someone else like they got late in the clock on that and yeah that tip off the room and that's that's just like a perfect encapsulation of like what Draymond Green does for a team because you know the rest of the guys aren't familiar with those rules and they don't do it yeah and so basically there was a free throw miss that hit the that hit the back and he just knocked it off it probably would have gone in and looked like it would have yeah and DeColo is an excellent free throw shooter yeah so it's like you know that's that's something you could do in FIBA that you can't do other places um so yeah, I mean, one thing that's come up to me though is uh, as we look ahead to 2024, which is only three years away, of course. Here and we'll have the 2023 World Cup before that. Is you know the U.S. we're not looking that great right now, and Giannis and Luca are really kind of the two best guys who are you know, 27 or under. There's nobody else really coming up on that mantle right now. Like Zion and AD seem like they're kind of iffy. Other than that, the U.S. like doesn't really have any great bigs who are coming up right now uh, as well. Well, I mean, one you way know, to think about it, yeah. I, I was thinking about this last night, is like, what of the who of the top 10 players or even in serious consideration are A, American, and B, prime or pre-prime? Because we're thinking three years in the future. And the answer isn't that isn't that encouraging. I mean, there are guys, of course, you mentioned Zion, that can step in. But like that, you know, I think Tatum will probably have to take a big step forward. And he had an important part to play in the non-KD minutes. And then I thought he was a little bit too aggressive because he'd been successful in the KD included minutes. Yeah. Um, and and I, I thought Tatum did a better job defensively in some of the earlier games. I think it was the last pool play game um, when they get to the Czech Republic. And then he had some he, he had some nice defensive moments against Australia who ended up getting the bronze medal. I did not watch that game because it was at four in the morning and I was tired. Um, but it w- but I thought that, you know, he'll have to step into a different role. Maybe his teammate Jalen Brown, like it, it will at some point we'll probably do a pod or a section of a pod looking forward because I, I understand, like, we got a couple of comments. I'm like, oh, we would love for you to do international. And Nate and I both love international basketball. It was just that the timing of these Olympics was was so challenging because not only were we just coming off of the NBA finals, but also the draft and free agency basically overlapped with the Olympics. And that, 
kind of has to be our priority right now yeah it was good to watch this game though like feel feel a little pride as an american actually root for something to happen which which was nice uh my wife was actually like getting a little annoyed with me when it was getting close and i was like kind of like really locked in and like didn't didn't want any distractions and stuff uh and, and there'll be guys who are going to come up for usa like john oh, Morant sure. or trey trey young or something i think the, the biggest or takeaway Kate. here though is when you don't have like the absolute most overwhelming talent when you don't have you know lebron and kd and kobe like all on the same team that you do have to kind of have more of a hierarchy offensively and just more of a plan of like specific things that you want to attack um and because they're just and it's also just an interesting understanding something that ben taylor would talk about a lot obviously is like yeah you know what having five guys on the floor who have 30 percent usage on their team like you get diminishing returns there particularly because all those guys you know i think there's a feeling like oh yeah some of these guys just like you know they couldn't handle fever play well you know if they just decided Devin Booker was going to be featured on this team and they're going to use him in the exact same way that the Phoenix Suns used him. And he's going to be the lead guy and get the ball in all of his favorite spots. You know, he would have been just as productive, probably more so in FIBA play than he is for the Suns. But he's not being used that way. He's mostly being asked to spot up and then maybe attack off the dribble sometimes when he has a little bit of an advantage. And so if you're not being featured offensively in the same way, like, yeah, you're not going to have the same stats and you're not, you know, being in a new role, you're not necessarily just like, oh, well, you know, now you're going to shoot 75% from the field because you shoot 50% on these really difficult attempts in the NBA. So it's something to keep in mind for team building. And now I'm all, I think there's a better approach than, hey, let's get Duncan Robinson on the team because he is going to get attacked defensively you know so you and some of these guys are playing well some of them are in form some of them are not as much in form so but it's you know it's very useful to have you know a clay thompson type of guy or a paul george type of guy which they just didn't have uh, this year who's more of an off-ball guy who also defends they didn't necessarily have that sort of player um anything else on that or should we get to the last couple days signings here let's get to news and we can start with the player who is at the forefront of team usa and that's kevin durant it, if Friday slash Saturday gets confusing with the time with the time zones, um, wasn't enough for KD in terms of winning a gold medal and being the best player slash savior of, of USA basketball in 2021. He also signed a extension, and it is um, and like his former teammate Stephen Curry. In all likelihood, Kevin Durant. We know the terms of it. It's going to be four years, 198 million. And the reason why is because it's it's built off of 105 percent of his prior salary rather than the 35 percent max that could in Durant's case theoretically change because um, if the cap goes high enough, I my I just did a really mediocre back of the envelope calculation that was 121 million for 22-23. If it gets that high, then the 35% might actually be stronger for him. But Kevin Durant making a lot of money, and more importantly, in some ways, staying in Brooklyn for the next four years. Yeah, and this would seem to augur that Harden and Kyrie extensions could be on the horizon as well. And you know, KD could always get traded or or want to leave if this team kind of ages out a little bit but he would have been the prime free agent in 2022 that's uh, not happening now just continuing this trend of guys extending free agency just not being as important anymore so he also because of the over 38 rule couldn't have signed a five-year deal if he became a free agent next year so there's really if he wanted to stay in brooklyn there was no reason for him to wait at all so he is locked in uh, with brooklyn james harden and Kyrie potentially are next Harden though would probably do an opt-in and extend because he signed with Houston so he has eight percent raises built into his contract he would opt into his 47 million dollar player option and then do three years on top of that he also is a little bit younger so it might behoove him to wait another year and then opt in and get four years on top of that rather than three if Harden were to opt in though with that would give him two years left on his contract so he would have to if he's going to do that structure you'd have to do that before the start of the season uh Kyrie on the other hand it makes more sense for him to opt out 
because he can then start off at 41 million whereas his player option is only for 37 he'll move into a new max uh, due to having 10 plus years of experience so uh, my expectation would be that some extensions are going to get done i mean if you're the nets maybe you might be like oh well Kyrie, uh you know maybe, maybe let's uh kind of see how you look this year and but no, I mean, more likely than not, all three of these guys are just going to be together going forward. And that's just going to preserve this insane luxury tax bill. It's only going to get bigger for the Nets uh, in theory here. But huge news there. And then Nets also signed DeAndre Bembry. No word on any kind of guarantees there. It kind of feels like it might even be a make good, non-guarantee type of deal. So we'll wait to throw that into the sheet until we hear a little bit more on that. Uh, where I want to go from there, it's probably not where a lot of people would think, but um to DeAndre Bembry's former team, the Toronto Raptors. And the reason why is because the Kyle Lowry trade has been consummated. It is now official. And Goran Dragic is staying with the Raptors. There have been rumors and murmurs that Dragic was going to end up on a third team, potentially the Dallas Mavericks, where he could play with fellow Slovenian Luka Doncic. That is not happening. Bobby Webster at the kind of press conference with everything. Webster said, we entertained it and we were up front with Goran that they liked him from the start and they want him here and they think he's happy to be there. And so that changes things for the Raps, like they're functioning as an over-the-cap team. They're going to keep Achua, which we expected, and Dragic and don't know exactly what the rotation is going to look like. That you know, with wondered if maybe that that kind of a, a Dragic move could could bring back a center or do something else. And instead, they're going to keep him around. Yeah, and they've added to the center position with Canadian Kem Birch, who they had on the buyout market, three years, eighteen million, using up most of the Raptors' middle exception because they only had non-bird rights on him at the minimum. Uh, and this one feels like it might have a non-guarantee or a team option on the end of it. We'll see what the reporting it comes out there but this is birch has never really gotten paid like this i think he was getting three million a year on his last contract from the magic before he got bought out but he played well in toronto and certainly is a rotation level of center just the raptors don't have a ton of beef at the center position right now uh and actually former raptor aaron baines and this one i mean this is really too bad because and the risk that he takes for playing for his country australia did get the bronze uh, and Baines apparently watched that from a Tokyo hospital bed, suffering a severe neck injury that could lead to him missing the entire next season. So that's re- Baines has always had a rough and tumble style. I didn't see exactly what happened to him the, on this injury, but that's uh, sobering news. And also just a, an understanding of like the not that Baines is necessarily going to have a huge market, but still what can happen. Obviously, Paul George was someone that this is the case for too. He had a guaranteed contract at the time, but Baines was a free agent. Nick Batu and Nilakina, uh, Patty Mills, like all these guys were free agent. They played in the Olympics anyway, which is uh, pretty impressive, uh, the level of dedication uh, that they have for something that they really don't make a ton of money off of, frankly. Absolutely. And uh, just one more quick thing on the Raptors. Them clearly now functioning as an over-the-cap team with the Lowry sign-in trade to bring back Dragic and Achua. That I would say that's good news for the not-yet-waived Raptors, meaning Chris Boucher, Yuta Watanabe, and Freddie Gillespie, because now... Yeah. Boucher, really... Boucher was never in danger. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. I mean, maybe if they had had some something really ambitious, like if Kawhi Leonard wanted to come well, back. Well, they, they like would have just traded him in that case. Yeah, I'm probably. Sure I mean, had a market at seven million. So we'll we'll see how how all of that works out. I mean, I think Boucher and Watanabe at the bare minimum are are going to be there. Gillespie's guarantee is a little bit later, um, and he's his is partial, I believe, even then. So we'll keep an eye on that. But we can go to. Well, one more thing on the wraps, too. Now that they're functioning as an over-the-cap team, uh, throw in Gary Trent Jr.'s extension, and they're pretty much right at the tax uh, with with 14 guys at this point in time. So that's another reason why we're not going to see a ton from them, I don't think. Yes, I think that's a a very good point. Uh, Let's go to former teammate and current Clipper and looking to be returning Clipper, Kawhi Leonard. Per Chris Haynes, he is re-signing with the Clippers, but we still do not know the terms. There is the additional complication that Kawhi Leonard is recovering from a partially torn ACL. Um, and well, can, can I give you a a 
I don't have a conspiracy theory on this, but we talked about like what a baller move it is to ask for a one plus one when to just basically get paid $39 million to rehab with no uh, commitment that you're going to stay beyond that. And supposedly Kawhi wanted to meet with these other teams that came out initially. Those other teams are like, yeah, yeah, right. You're not going to string us along like you did in 2019. So we're just going to do what we're going to do. So he has nowhere else to go now. And is it possible that the Clippers are saying, oh, well, Kawhi, uh, you know, you could have, you could have opted in for next year. And, but now that you opted out, we're not really interested in just giving you the right to leave after next year to rehab for a year. Like we're, we want you to sign a two-year deal. You know, maybe, maybe like they're actually pushing back on him a little bit. Who knows? Maybe it'll just end up being a one plus one and I'll be wrong about that. But you know, and they obviously everything that they've done so far has been built around making him happy. But I mean, that certainly seems like a reasonable request by the Clippers to say, hey, if we're going to just pay you for zero value for a year. Now, Kawhi would say, hey, guess what? Like for the one year that I'm going to be healthy, you know, for next year, I would be worth $60 million. But they'd be like, hey, we need to actually get that next year. Then then we'll pay you, you know, or I guess it'd be $80 million, you know, over two years. We're worth willing to pay $80 million for one healthy year, but we're not willing to pay $40 million for nothing. I, I don't know. We'll see if the, how that turns out. But it does see, it seems a little interesting. They might have slightly over overplayed their leverage there if they really wanted that that one plus one i see the approach i don't think it's going to happen i think especially with steve Ballmer's willingness to spend um that we won't necessarily yeah. see that and that continues with the re-signing of reggie jackson reggie jackson through early bird rights had the ability to sign for roughly 10 11 million a year for up to four years remember Rashawn holmes got that kind of a contract as well and with the sacramento kings and jackson is signing a straight two-year deal worth 22 million and he has loyalty to the clippers because of how the role they played in resurrecting his career after he was bought out by the by the pistons and i mean looked like he was maybe getting close to done and had a phenomenal playoffs offensively and showed more spark defensively than i've seen from him in a long time and so now he's probably going to have a larger role with the 21 22 clippers considering Kawhi leonard's limitations if not straight up just being out the entire time and i'm i'm thrilled that reggie could get this kind of payday and i thought he could have gotten a stronger one in terms of at least another year but clearly did not really have the leverage you know there wasn't a a team out there and particularly with Kemba Walker getting bought out and going to the Knicks and you thought maybe the Pistons would be looking for a point guard with the cap space that they cleared off that really wasn't the case in the end and you know maybe there's a team that you think should have gone three years for the pool but also he probably would rather just be with the Clippers for two years than somewhere else for three years and he's going to have a big role on this team you know he's played the best basketball of his career in the playoffs for the Clippers last year so you understand why he's saying good good job uh holding the line uh, on not giving up the third year for the 31 year old Jackson though and then also Justice Winslow will be joining the Clippers they are really loading up on wings who can't shoot between Winslow and Keon Johnson their draft pick and also Brandon Boston who I think is probably set for a two-way they still got Jay Scrub on a two-year two-way because he was injured most of of last year but they taught terrence mann how to shoot and so i think they're this is a good idea to take a flyer on these guys and winslow can give them some more defense uh, on the wing with the uh, Kawhi out potentially if he can get healthy as well so the clips did not add anyone to this team using the mini mid level which they truly could have but there was they got rebuffed maybe by some guys if i'm nick batum i'm sort of like you know maybe could you just use that on me uh instead i don't know if he's actually signed his contract yet maybe maybe they'll give him a little bit more but supposedly the agreement was for non-bird they'll still retain that of course going into the buyout market but so will the warriors and and some other teams but pretty good offseason for the Clippers to keep everyone that they wanted to keep, particularly given the limited resources they had to bring back Batum. Yeah, and maybe they, I mean, maybe they use a portion, prorated portion in the middle level on a buyout guy or something like that, but 
I'm a little bit skeptical there. We can go to their co-tenants at Staples Center, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the Lakers did not make any additional signings. Their roster is pretty damn close to done at this point, but they did extend Frank Vogel. And Vogel, you know, won the championship a year and a half ago. I guess that's closer to two two years ago. I know it's a year ago now. God, time is a flat circle. And um, it's less than a year ago. Oh, you're right. And so Vogel totally on board with him, with with them re-upping him. And I mean, we'll see the terms for whether I think he made the right decision, but I fully suspect so. Yeah, and also with Jason Kidd and, and some other defections from the staff, you know, it's not like if they wanted to move on from him during the season, they could. And I think just empowering Vogel at this point in time, and he's done a great job. He deserves an extension. Like, he, he was the reason that they lost in the playoffs last year. And in fact, I thought he coached very well during the regular season to keep the defense afloat the way he did, particularly once AD went down. And the other coach that got that agreed to an extension between the last time we recorded now is James Brego. Charlotte Hornets multi-year extension and the Hornets exceeded expectations. Expectations. I thought Borrego did a nice job with them. He tried a lot of defensive schemes, empowering, and doing a really nice job handling Lamelo Ball. You know, came off the bench, but then when he when he earned a starting spot, got a starting spot, and then retained the starting spot. So fully support Borrego getting an extension. He like Vogel had one year left on his deal, and then the Hornets also had a lot of other business to take care of. Yeah, this was interesting. We talked about the Lowry Markinen rumors that didn't really seem to make that much sense, and instead they went with one Kelly Oubre Jr., a two-year, $25 million deal with the Hornets, uh, $5 million guaranteed on that second year per Anthony Slater. And this a disappointment, of course, for Golden State. They had hoped to uh, get a trade exception in uh, if Uber were involved in a signed trade, but that has to be at least a three-year deal. Clearly, there were not three-year deals out there. What do you think of his fit with the Charlotte Hornets? I think it's all right. I mean, Ubre going to a team where he doesn't have a clear spot to start, but he does have a spot within the rotation. I mean, so I, my presumption has been with the departure of Devontae Graham that they're going to start Rozier, Ball, Hayward, Miles Bridges, and Mason Plumley. So then Ubre steps in, presumably as the sixth man, probably along there with PJ Washington. And then he is also the probably the lead guy to come in in case of injury to two or possibly even three spots in the rotation because you could slide Hayward around, you could slide Lamelo around. And so I think Ubre is going to get plenty of opportunity. And if his goal was to maximize 21-22 salary, hard to see where $13 million was going to come from. Yeah, the answer is nowhere else. OKC is the only team that could have paid that much unless it were in a sign and trade. And Ubre, you know, it would seem like he overestimated his market but he at least got paid a, above the mid-level a second year being non-guaranteed protect Charlotte a little bit but this I think is a good signing for Charlotte because particularly once the Hayward injury happened and uh, guess what there might be another Hayward injury just uh gonna really whip the cover off my crystal ball on that one but now you're not relying on Jalen McDaniels to play 30 minutes a game as they were kind of towards the end of last season uh, Ubre will probably be in a 25 minute per game role I think he can shoot it better than he did last year but also a really good transition player and these guys really want to push the ball so with ish smith and lamello i think he'll look really good running the lanes also maybe gives them a little bit of insurance if you know terry rozier doesn't extend and they don't they wanted to move him he could maybe step in i mean they do need kind of the shooting of rozier but now you don't have to play hayward as many minutes as well so i think this is a much better use of their space than marketing would have been particularly because they would have had to give marketing in a longer and worse contract to get the bulls to not match so this is for the 25 year old Ubre. this is definitely a, a solid deal and i think this is about the best place for him you know this isn't some complex motion offense other guys are going to be making the plays and he can hopefully be more focused on you know working as an off-ball player just shooting the ball making the play when it comes to him he's not going to be asked to do a bunch of screening or passing necessarily two other and, pieces oh, sorry yeah go ahead sorry so two other pieces of business for the hornets that kind of went around this because one of the things that happened since the last time you and i recorded is that we 
ended the moratorium. So now a lot of things can be agreed to formally can come. And so that means we get more specific terms. And one of those is the inclusion of Wessawundu in the New Orleans Memphis Charlotte deal. And the reason why that happened, Bobby Marks articulated this well, is because that allows the Pelicans to create a larger trade exception. Since that deal is done, um, I believe it is $17 million, which is because of Stephen Adams. And so sending a wound out allows them to maximize that exception. Um, and whether it was because of that or not, the Charlotte Hornets are basically out of cap space and they waived Caleb Martin. He had an August 15th guarantee date. I was expecting them to guarantee both Caleb and Cody Martin. Instead, at least Caleb is gone. Yeah, and Awundu does have guaranteed money for this year, but probably not really worth a roster spot at this point for Charlotte. And they could always bring back Caleb Martin sure. as well. You think maybe by, that's, by the that's way, that might happen. Nice job by Wes Awundu getting a second guaranteed year from the Dallas Mavericks a year ago. And then you know basically he's gotten moved twice since then, but he's still making that money. Yes. Also in New Orleans, Willie Hernan Gomez returning on a three-year deal and never really was much in favor with Stan Van Gundy, but a guy who can be a solid offensive center. Offensively, he at least fits okay with Zion. And also kind of a somewhat of a similar player to Jonas Valanciunas, although Hernan Gomez is a better shooter and doesn't quite have the same size. But if you're going to play a certain way with Valanciunas, Hernan Gomez can sort of be a poor man's version of that. Presumably, this will be, is a three-year minimum uh, type of deal uh, for Hernan Gomez who is acceptable enough as a third center and they of course have this trade exception where hey uh, we'll see what happens with Josh Hart they still in theory are 15 million dollars below the cap although they're operating as an over the cap team with all their holds and stuff but they could even be a team that would just like take on some bad money during the season if they wanted to or uh, try to take on a guy sort of like the Celtics did with Evan Fournier last year where they should have enough room to take on a quality player and still stay below the tax David and Griffin could all, yeah sorry go ahead sorry David Griffin could also so that deal the deal with Memphis is already consummated and sealed and, and all that but the one with the Chicago Bulls involving Lonzo Ball is not so theoretically they could also fold something oh really in there. I, I, because because uh it sure seemed like it was a done deal for uh, quite some time yeah actually before we get there just so we can finish this um the pick that New Orleans is sending uh, Rod Boone had this the pick that New Orleans is sending to Charlotte in the Devontae Graham sign and trade is lottery protected for just the 21-22 season and then becomes two seconds 22 and 24 so it's not as egregious for the Pelicans because if they miss the playoffs which would be my current expectation then they give up two seconds but I mean they absolutely could make the playoffs like it's not it's not outside the realm of possibility yeah this that makes this trade look a lot worse for Charlotte and particularly to get it top 14 instead of top 10 that that is you know the two seconds is still worth something and maybe they didn't feel that Graham fit into their long-term salary structure but they you're kind of basically trading and they probably could have held on to Graham and done everything else that they wanted to do this offseason maybe Uber would have had to come for a little bit less but he didn't really seem to have other options either and maybe Charlotte just felt like you know in the long term Devontae Graham at 11 million a year doesn't fit into our salary structure so we should just get something for him but this makes me feel a little bit better about the Pels deal because frankly if they give up this pick then that Devontae Graham signing probably worked out pretty well right and so if it doesn't work out as well then two seconds that's not nearly as bad now would you rather still have gone the other path of keeping ball perhaps so but uh this is important news that they are probably more likely than not to not give up a first rounder and and I like I like trades like this and you can't really do you know like in the NFL you can do like conditional trades I think you can in baseball too but that are based on like the player or team performance you can't do that in the NBA but this is basically a conditional trade of like hey this guy is actually going to be good for us this year and if not then we don't give up as much to get him a couple other just notes that we can have as things you know as things get finalized um Bobby Marks noted that because George Hill signed a sufficiently large contract with the Bucks the Sixers now receive a set off on the um on the money that they owed to that they they partial guarantee that they had to George Hill that will only come off at the end of the season but so it doesn't really help them in terms of the hard cap and stuff should the hard cap themselves which you and i both don't expect but that is material savings of over a million for the for the sixers yeah this is the josh smith rule we always got asked with hey josh smith just signed with the rockets after the 
Pistons stretched him. So does that mean they get more cap space? No, it doesn't get applied until the very end of the year as far as like your luxury tax payments and stuff. But your cap number is your cap number through the year until the setoff gets applied. And that's because you don't actually know exactly how much of that the guy's going to earn. You know, he could get suspended or something and lose some of it. So you can't actually apply that ahead of time. Uh, In Phoenix, not only is Chris Paul non-guaranteed in year four, but he also is, uh, this. uh, Bobby Marks had this, so Gambador's reporting apparently was correct, uh, only 15.8 million guaranteed in year three. So that makes that very stretchable to have a second year on there as well, which is reported as a team option maybe it's just totally non-guaranteed but either way and if it's the team option it, it probably has to be totally non-guaranteed because if it were a team option it would also have to be 15.8 million dollars guaranteed your your option year has to have the same guarantees as the last year of the contract so it's probably almost certainly is non-guaranteed in the fourth year rather than a team option but 15.8 million if they chose to waive paul after two years then they could stretch him and it would only be three million dollars over five years and given their tax situation they would probably be very interested in doing that if paul you know, Robert Sarver and company decide that Paul is no longer worth $30 million. They can reduce that to $3 million if they wanted to in two years. And maybe, and that will, it's like a decent compromise. I'm sure Paul wanted the fully guaranteed third year, but this is a way for him to essentially just get paid $75 million over two years. And then he could just probably go sign from where for way less if he wanted to finally go play with LeBron or whatever in two years if he's no longer as effective worth the $30 million and worth the huge tax payments that the Suns might need to make. Speaking of huge tax payments, the Milwaukee Bucks are adding more salary. They acquired Grayson Allen from the Memphis Grizzlies for San Sam Merrill and two future second round picks. Milwaukee uh, has this trade exception from the DJ Augustine, PJ Tucker trade. And so that was 4.9. That's more than enough to bring Grayson Allen in. Uh, Sam Merrill only had 500,000 in guaranteed money, which is going back to the Grizz. And this pushes Milwaukee's tax bill even higher. So the conversation we had a couple of days ago about them it being identification rather than willingness to spend is even more salient now. But also this is a notable decision by the Memphis Grizzlies to basically just straight up walk away from Grayson and Allen one year before restricted free agents well they got uh didn't they get two seconds out of the deal they did um this might also be a taking the club out of the bag on Taylor Jenkins move could be to say hey how, how about you play DeAnthony Melton and Desmond Bain instead or, or even John, John Conchar, although he's not the level of shooter of those guys, I don't think. So that that probably could be a, a part of this also. But And I think the Grizz just identified, again, they're not like, oh my God, we got to win this year, as evidenced by that Pels trade. And Grayson Allen was someone that they weren't really feeling like they wanted to pay a bunch of money to resign. They have a bunch of cheap shooting guards already that probably management thinks are better than Grayson Allen, even if Taylor Jenkins didn't agree with that. So I think this is reasonable. What is, do we know anything about those picks? Well, the Bucks they don't really have any any premium ones. They have either Indiana's or Utah's in 24. They have Indiana's in 25, and then they have a few of their own. So I think these are probably going to be mostly beyond 45. So the, I don't think of these as premium. Quickly now to Miami. Lowry, three years, 85 million. That allows... It's basically about the most that they could have done while trading only Goran Dragic and Precious Achua. And also gives them a little more breathing room below the hard cap. We'll have to see. I assume it's going to be the absolute lowest amount they could pay him in the in the first year. That might give him a slightly more wiggle room for buyout candidates and maybe pay someone a little bit above the the absolute minimum. And Omar Yurtseven, who dominated two games at the California Classic, is now in a two-year, $3.5 million deal, similar structure to Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. So uh, Yurtseven has... Uh, looking like he could potentially be a player at least offensively struggle a little bit defensively so far we'll of course have more of a report on him after summer league well and what else it's, we got here? it's notable yeah. to me that miami is signing Struess, vincent and yurtsevin to two-year contracts i guess they're young enough that you don't get the same benefits that you do with vets like there's the, the, the why you don't sign vets to two-year minimums is because it costs you a lot more money but i guess these guys are young enough that doesn't really matter right yeah their minimums are so low that you're not you, you're still basically 
kind of right you're not getting you're, it's not getting subsidized so you might as well just yeah. not subsidize it um for the wizards this was decision day for anthony gill who they added last offseason his minimum contract officially guaranteed today so it looks like the wiz are done because they have 13 guaranteed contracts then daniel gafford and then 31st pick in the draft isaiah todd is not yet under contract you don't usually give the 31st pick a two-way so presumably todd will be there now you could theoretically clear somebody and then add somebody back but i think the whiz are basically done at this juncture javante green uh, is going back to the bulls on a two-way deal they gave him a qualifying offer the bulls are functioning as an over-the-cap team we don't know the exact terms there we will keep an eye on that uh, per Keith Smith, Rodney Magruder is getting waived. You and I wondered about that. It's not a huge surprise, but we we hadn't heard that formally yet. It was one of the more logical ways for, for Detroit to just handle their business. I don't believe they had to in order to make everything go, but, you know, it makes some sense. Yeah, and Detroit, they're basically going to waste uh, about $8 million in cap space that they could have created, it looks like. And maybe they, they still will do something with that. But uh, Corey Joseph is the room exception. But once he actually signs, then he takes up your cap space. Uh, they've also got Trey Lyles. We, we don't know. Maybe he's slightly above the minimum as well and then they got Hamadou Diallo as a restricted free agent so when the he signs then he'll uh, go up so maybe they just don't want to be that expensive this year which uh, I can understand but they could in theory as of right now have about 8.5 million in cap space depending on whether Lyles is the minimum or not um so we'll see whether they do anything with that I don't anticipate necessarily that they are going to though and then Andre Guadala is back with the Golden State Warriors supposedly Brooklyn and the Lakers were in on him as well but it seemed like this one was going to happen and everyone will be glad to have him back including all of the writers to uh get some of his quips and verbal repartee in the locker room how much he has left tough to say you really wonder about him fitting with draymond at this point in time his offense has fallen off even more his shooting has fallen off maybe he'll be more comfortable kind of just in this system knowing where his shots are coming from as well and it'll be interesting to see how much he has left they obviously they want him for his veteran leadership and his warriorsness as well and i think just everyone will be much happier having him around again as an old vet to kind of take on some of these leadership responsibilities we also got the official announcement of that three-way deal involving the celtics hawks and kings so that was where tristan thompson's going to the kings and boston in that deal they uh they used the kemba walker trade exception to bring in chris dunn and bruno fernando and created new exceptions worth 9.7 million and 5 million the 5 million one they already had that was did from when they moved daniel tice at the deadline We'll see whether Brad Stevens uses those or not, but he has those at his disposal now. And that's another one that maybe there was a possibility it was going to get expanded or modified because the the teams made some other moves. It is not. It is done now. And then kind of two other pieces of, of league-ish news. Um, one is that Chris Paul is not running for a third term as president of the NBA Players Association. Instead, CJ McCollum was elected to take his place. There are a... a, a seemingly a billion VPs of the PA. Including- oh, that that happened? The, yes. The- that he actually was elected. Okay, it's, yeah, I, that I, happened in the last I, hour. Possibility. Yeah, oh, and then okay. and one of the new VPs is Grant Williams, somebody that you and I both enjoy. Um, and very young to be a VP of the PA for for Grant Williams. That's an honor for him. And so we'll see how that changes negotiations in the future. We're still a few years out from from what that will be, but how CJ's turn at the helm will affect things. We know it will. We just don't know exactly how. And then you alluded to it before, but we can kind of, I guess, end this section, if you will, with the league announcing that they're investigating tampering in the case of Lonzo Ball's sign-and-trade and Kyle Lowry's sign-and-trade. Yeah, and I, I had a long rant about this the last time this all came up, That because some people are like, well, why don't you just make the deadline earlier? And other people are like, well, who gives a shit about tampering? How about you just never investigate it and just look the other way at all times? I don't consider, or, and then other people are like, no, you got to crack down even harder on everybody. I don't think any of those are really a big deal. I think that in terms of just what actually happens now, as opposed to what the rule is, like, I think that just, if let's say you didn't have this rule and you could just say, all right, every year, this is how it's going to happen. You know, a few days before free agency, like things are going to get kind of get worked out before the official negotiating period. That's fine. I got no problem with that 
whatsoever if it just kind of stayed the status quo i got no issues with the problem is the status quo will just continue to get earlier and earlier if you have zero enforcement whatsoever and then because to me once a guy's season is over with and his contract is over i don't really care right like there's no there's no tampering there's no season to disrupt it is a problem if you are tampering during the season while a player is still under contract and also or, a problem or it's a, or a player who's not on an expiring contract yeah oh yeah well, you know the anthony davis situation for example so that i care about but again you're never going to totally wipe this stuff out so it's just sort of a this like detente basically an uneasy detente where it's just hey how uh, just don't go fucking crazy right like that's basically what the league is saying here is we know you're all tampering just don't make it so obvious you know like the bogdan thing don't let it get out of the media so early so you just have to kind of just play the game do it so it's not just totally egregious and the league where they appear to take issue is when it's a deal that is also involving the teams talking back and forth to each other and getting something done that clearly is very complex and having it be done you know Lonzo Ball's deal with the Bulls was the first reported deal right at the beginning of free agency and you could tell that the reporters were sort of especially if they were getting source from the agent and team side were trying to be a little bit more careful in their language you know Woj this time his language was opting in Goran Dragic allows the Heat to emerge as the strongest contenders to acquire Kyle Lowry in a sign trade which okay you know you're not you have a little bit more plausible deniability there but not really so I guess we'll see what the league comes up with here they're not going to rescind these transactions that would just mess up too much I'm pretty sure but recall that they docked the Bucks a second round pick with the Bogdanovich situation and a mitigating factor was that they didn't actually acquire Bogdanovich in the end whereas here both these teams actually did acquire them and the other aspect that probably needs to be considered here is that Toronto was not interested in retaining Kyle Lowry at that price and Lonzo Ball New Orleans very clearly was not interested in retaining him so both of these franchises were well on board of getting something back for these players so are those teams now also going to be disciplined like it takes two to tango on these moves so I'm very interested to see where this turns out I mean I think it would be an unjust result yeah there's an even funnier one with this and I don't know that you've thought of it yet because I only just did. How do you dock a team a second round pick when they've traded all their second round picks like the Miami Heat have? <laughs> well, Miami, it could be more than that. Miami has traded all of their second round picks from 2022 through 2027. Oh, 2028 is available. It is. <laughs> if that gets forfeited, it's going to be amazing. They do have a second from somebody else. But I mean, would you force a team to forfeit another team's second round pick? That would also be weird. They could do it. They, they, I mean, it pro- properties. I, I, my, my property professor referred to it as a bundle of sticks. And they have that bun- They have that bundle of sticks for the less favorable of Philadelphia or Denver's 2022 second. That might actually be what they take. Yeah, they can also fine up to 10 million bucks, I think, at this point. But this is just, I don't know. The, the league needs some sort of this tampering to even work properly it's good honestly for the nba like as long as this shit's not getting reported as far in advance as it was in 2019 and don't worry we still had plenty of bombshells on that first day of 2019 anyway that'll still probably be the longest podcast that you and i alone ever record that first day i this really doesn't bother me too much as long as it's not getting reported you know three weeks beforehand or something like that well and and the other the other part of it for me is this like if you think about it from a practical perspective for the player are there teams that are being hurt let's say there are five teams in the league that are playing by the rules and i don't think that's true then are they really losing out on players by this no it seems like the players have all the information they need to make their decision because what else are they going to learn do they really think these powerpoint presentations or steve balmer crying is going to change somebody's mind yeah it, it doesn't seem that way and frankly you know you're at there really just is no other solution like i i do not recommend that the league really come down on these guys because you know just do it enough to where it's a slap on the wrist maybe a fine but not you know some major on-floor consequences for the team because you know unless unless you're gonna be completely insane about enforcing it and enforce everything it's not fair to any of the players the agents or the teams because somebody's gonna be getting away with it and then like you can't just get left in the dust like you also have to do it or you're not you know deals are getting done there you're just not competing you're then you end up mitch kupchak in 2016 with fucking timothy mozgov so 
I, I will say this, like if the league is really going to like nail these teams hard, then they got to do it consistently for everyone on everything. Like that, that is, on. I, I know the Miami Heat are well known for being one of these teams that just gets away with everything, but it, it would be unfair to them uh, and to the Bulls as well, particularly when these other teams were complicit as well. They wanted this to happen. All right, that's, uh, that's probably enough here. We will be back likely uh, Monday or Tuesday, I would guess. So thanks so much for listening and we will talk to y'all very soon till then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.